Hashtag SFM Talking Point. So welcome to the third and final hour of uh, the Talking Point uh, here on SAFM while we are in the Eastern Cape. So in this hour, we're going to have a conversation about the Global State of Human Rights Report because in its annual Global State of Human Rights Report, Amnesty International says that the global vaccine inequality created by pharmaceutical companies and wealthy nations undercut Africa's ability to fight the COVID-19 pandemic. It castigates European Union member states, the United Kingdom and the United States for stockpiling more vaccine doses than needed while big pharmaceutical companies turned a blind eye putting profits ahead of people. But the report is also quick to point out that the COVID-19 pandemic highlighted Africa's lack of investment in health sectors over many decades. So we're going to have a conversation with Netsanet Belay, who's a research and <clears throat> excuse me, advocacy director at Amnesty International. And then after 11.30, after the Excuse me, 11.30 news headlines. You probably had Kirthi talk about it in the intro today. So we're going to talk about South Africa's former white schools being mostly the most racially diverse. Uh, You know, there's this research that talks about how school segregation in post-apartheid South Africa remains very high along racial as well as socioeconomic lines. Not surprised, this was revealed in a study which examines patterns of school segregation using data from the Department of Basic Education's 2021 annual school survey. So that's what we're talking about in this hour. But first, your voice notes. Greetings, sir. <coughs> May I ask, such uh, offerings, to what extent do they uh, embrace communities? Are we expected to remain consumers of such arrangements or are there schemes that will make communities to become partners in this whole arrangement so that they also benefit in these lease, uh, long lease agreements or is it only between those who have money and the government? That's my question. Uh, call me Chapa. I'm in Cape Town and I'm a member of a, a primary cooperative. There is a, a public works uh, owned structure facility um, that two kilometers away from us it stands there derelict unused and uh, we are trying for more than a year now to try and secure a leasehold on it but you get no response from the minister's office the minister in charge of uh, public works or a department what can we do we are desperate we are really really exhausted now what can we do to try and secure that a leasehold on that place um, because they are not forthcoming they are don't respond to our small smmes and uh, micro small businesses so it is very discouraging they don't really encourage uh, small businesses to develop to grow and to develop so uh, what what can you do to help in this case please
So thank you very much uh, for all of your voice notes. Uh, keep them coming as uh, the conversation keeps flowing. Let's go here now. Um, in its annual Global State of Human Rights report, Amnesty International says that the global vaccine inequality created by pharmaceutical companies and wealthy nations undercut Africa's ability to fight the COVID-19 pandemic. It castigates European Union member states, the United Kingdom, and the U.S. for stockpiling more vaccine doses than needed, while big pharmaceutical companies turned a blind eye, putting profits ahead of people. But the report is also quick to point out that the COVID-19 pandemic highlighted Africa's lack of investment in health sectors over many decades. To outline, outline I'm sorry, some of these issues for us and what can be done to overturn the situation, we are joined by Netsanet Belay, Research and Advocacy uh, Director at Amnesty International. Netsanet, thank you so much for your time and uh, good morning. Let's talk about the period at which uh, you did this research. Uh, was it at uh, the highest points or the now seemingly lowest point of COVID-19? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to you and to your listeners. Yes, indeed. This is a research we conducted throughout the course of last year. Every year, Amnesty International looks into the state of human rights across the world and publishes its report. And this year, we've come out with a report that covers 154 countries. So the report covers 154 countries. What did it say about Africa? A lot. Um, I mean, I guess the first one, as you mentioned in your introductory remarks, is um, what we're really terming as the greatest betrayal of our time. Um, as we saw it particularly in response to the pandemic, wherein wealthy states and corporates have colluded to put self-interest over the lives and safety and dignity of people and betraying promises of their recovery. Um, you know, just to cite some examples, uh, we must first remember that there was enough vaccine produced in 2020 to vaccinate the entire world. That was never the issue. The issue was the fact that the wealthy states such as the EU, UK, US stockpiled hundreds and millions of uh, doses, more than what they needed to vaccinate their population three, four times, yet the least developed countries, less than 4% of people were vaccinated. Here in Africa, 92% of the population was left unvaccinated. One mm, asked only why this is happening. Yeah, this happened because, first and foremost, greed, uh, corporate greed was left unchecked. If you look at the two vaccine producers like Pfizer and Moderna alone, despite mm. receiving billions in public funding, they were projected to earn $50 billion. Uh, this is a profit made over lives of people, mind you. Um, you know, wealthy states like the EU and others, they blocked all attempts to secure temporary waiver of intellectual property barriers, technology transfer barriers, such as what South Africa was negotiating at the WTO. This is a classic mm. case of collusion that cost millions of lives across the world. 
8% of uh, Africa's 1.2 billion uh, people are fully vaccinated. Uh, to what extent uh, African governments meant to also uh, take responsibility for the degree to which uh, they, you know, held back investment themselves in the health sectors over decades? That is true. I mean, what COVID exposed is a continued lack of investment in our basic health uh, infrastructure over the over the continent. Uh, you know, in places like Somalia, for instance, we have one hospital in Mogadishu that handled all COVID cases in the country. Uh, we saw it here in Niger, Nigeria, Togo, Congo, elsewhere. How health sectors were completely unprepared to handle the magnitude of this, this crisis. Um, but at the same time, we must not forget that in this time of crisis, what was most needed rightfully and morally was international cooperation and solidarity, which never came. Um, mm. It's not just a big pharma we're shaming here. I mean, one of the challenges we're dealing with here in Africa is hesitancy of vaccines, right? And if we look at one of the causes that contribute to this is <coughs> beyond big pharma, how the big tech companies um, turn the blind eye in the face of, you know, a dozen conspiracy theories that was leading anti-vaccine campaigners, uh, you know, to continue spread lies and misinformation on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, so mm. this coupled with this lack of unpredictable vaccine supply to, to Africa has led us to where we are today. Yeah, uh, but you also talk of the utter failure of the global community and particularly also of African Union leaders uh, because civilians continued to pay the price of protracted armed conflicts in uh, the African continent. Elaborate, please, a bit for me on that. Of course. Indeed, that's, that's one tragic uh, reality of 2021, which in, its, which in essence defines what we're seeing today in front of our TV screens with Russia invading Ukraine and causing mayhem. Uh, what we saw last year was how new and unresolved conflicts erupted or persisted in different parts of the world, from Ethiopia to Afghanistan, uh, Israel and occupied Palestinian territories to Libya, Myanmar, Yemen. The list is endless. It's perhaps one of uh, the unique moments we're in where over 26.6 million people were uh, refugees by mid last year alone. Um, look at DRC, for instance. The conflict uh, displaced <clears throat> 1.5 million people in one year. In, in Ethiopia, in, in Nigeria, South Sudan and elsewhere, rape and sexual violence was used as a weapon of warfare in, in these places. So amidst all these atrocities, what is really um, shocking and un unforgivable is the paralysis at global or regional levels to address these atrocities. Uh, where were yeah. the UN Security Council when Russian-backed forces were besieging cities in Syria, uh, bombing uh, hospitals and civilian structures? Where was the Security Council in the African Union when the continued conflict in Mozambique caused lives and, uh, and, and displacements, the same in Ethiopia, Sudan, and elsewhere. So it is this, you know, um, unforgivable and shameful inaction in multilateral spaces that has yeah. led us to what we believe to where we are today. 
a complete chaos, yeah. mayhem, and instability. Yeah. Having said all of that, what then did you make uh, of South Africa's stance on the Russia-Ukraine war in your report, if at all? Yeah, I mean, our message is clear. Russia's invasion of Ukraine is a flagrant violation of the UN Charter and international law. It is causing devastating impact on human rights, and, and all states, including South Africa, ought to speak out rejecting this act. Um, but, but at the same time, we're also saying that we must look at this in a larger context. And the larger mm -hmm. context is, is evident that it is that continued double standard that we see it in the Security Council or elsewhere, uh, turning a blind eye when the big powers continued uh, to, to commit atrocities directly or indirectly. Um, that is what has led us today, and, and that is what we are actually calling out now that the time has come for a radical rethink of the global security architecture. And time has come for us to challenge the use of veto in the face of atrocities and, and etc. Yeah. You also, in, in your report, accuse global leaders of uh, peddling false promises uh, of uh, a fair recovery from uh, COVID-19 uh, <clears throat> to address uh, particularly Africa's deep-seated uh, deep inequality issues. Uh, we heard the World Health Organization's address on uh, how they anticipate uh, the unfolding of uh, COVID-19 this year or whatever uh, two years that uh, they perceive. Tell me about what you think are uh, the... What um, what you think is being peddled as a false promise uh, to the world about Africa's recovery or the world's recovery on COVID-19? Yeah, <clears throat> I guess beyond, you know, the failed promise of, of you know, vaccinating the global world uh, to help us recover out of this pandemic, um, we also saw how, you know, states after states uh, paid lip service to telling us that what well, we have learned from the last financial crisis and that they will not allow corporates uh, to run the world, that they will make sure there will be uh, coordinated and robust debt relief to countries that are you know, really struggling with the impact of the pandemic. Um, but none of that really materialized, right? The limited debt relief that was uh, pledged and committed by the G20 only led to, you know, a few qualifying countries enjoying suspension of the debt repayment. Mind you, it's not actually the complete re uh, rewrite of the debt, but the repayment process. And that didn't cover the entire debt, particularly debt that countries owe from the private sector. And, and countries continue to pay more um, than what they receive through the debt relief uh, to pay their debts. And the same with the climate change, you know, the promise to ensure that we have a robust international response to address uh, the climate crisis. But what came out from the COP26 process is yet another betrayal. The world even failed to agree on the minimum, you know, to keep global warming at 1.5 degrees Celsius uh, was not met. There was no ambitious plan to get the world out of dependency on fuel and on fossil fuel energy and etc. Uh, it is a year that needs to be remembered as an all-rounded um, betrayal, uh, the greatest betrayal of our times, really. Yeah. 
There's a part where uh, the report uh, talks about the multiple waves uh, of uh, how the pandemic tore through Africa uh, and it having devastating uh, a devastating impact on the issue of uh, human rights across the African continent. Are you able to elaborate uh, on that for us? Yes, of course. Um, um, you know, what was what we think is adds insult to our injury, uh, you know, beyond, as I said, the collusion uh, between corporate and states to deny us access to health care, is the redoubling of effort by many states across the world to stifle critical voices and dissent. Um, this happened, for instance, in how over 67 countries introduced new laws last year strict media, peaceful protests, and etc. Uh, governments increasingly were using technological tools such as spyware, facial recognition to crack down on peaceful protests. Um, we saw an increased securitization of the civic space, especially in response to growing public protests. You know, in about 85 of 154 countries we monitored, peaceful protesters were subject to unlawful or excessive use of force by protesters. Take a look at Africa. In 12 countries, people died during peaceful protests. Take a look at our own neighbor, Iswatini, where the violent dispersal of pro-democracy protesters that began in May, it led to 80 days and more than 200 people being injured. This is on top of 1,000 protesters, including 38 children who were arbitrarily arrested. The same in Sudan. 53 people were gunned down by security forces who were protesting on the coup. You can take a look at Chad equally. Over 700 people were arbitrarily arrested, again, challenging the coup and the transitional government. So the list mm. is endless, and this is why we're saying this should be a wake-up call to all of us. I mean, unless we're really careful and persist and challenge the government, these increased powers we give them in time of crisis might become the new normal. And the news, the limited yeah. space we have to challenge dissent may be gone forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a caller, uh, Netsanet, um, Ronnie in Kabecha. You want to ask Netsanet a question on the State of Human Rights Report. Hi, uh, Ronnie. Uh, morning, and, and morning to your guest uh, there. I just wanted to ask your guest, right, um, if you look at the population of Africa, right, uh, 1 billion plus, and if you look at the percentage of people who have been vaccinated or taken the jar, right, then you need to ask yourself, how come that Africans are not dying in their numbers? Right? How, how, how come... Africans are not dying all over. People that are vaccinated, <laughs> it's it maybe 4%. The whole continent. So I'm asking. 8% eight, eight of the, 8%, Ronnie, 8% of the African fine. population is, out is, of, is. Yeah, out is of about 1 billion people, you vaccinated 8% out of 1 billion, right? So how come the, the rest are not just dying? Let me give you an example. Nigeria has um, 240 million people, right? 
only about 4% of people have been taking the job in, in Nigeria, okay? okay? So, and the death in Nigeria is, is next to zero, okay? But, you see, why I'm asking this is with, with the poor health systems that we have in Africa and the overcrowding <clears throat> that we have in Africa, right, where you can't even have a social distance or anything like that, one would have expected Africans to be dying in their numbers. It should have been seen, okay. uh, 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 yes, in their numbers. So that, that, that goes to show that natural immunity has taken place. Okay. And, and I think you put your point across. We have to enough. go to news. So let's let our guests respond, Ronnie. Uh, you can listen on the radio. Do you want to respond to that argument that uh, uh, Ronnie is putting on the table uh, that, uh, you know, all the odds were stacked against Africa and, uh, you know, the majority of Africa's population is not uh, vaccinated and yet uh, it did not die. Um, um, the populations didn't die uh, as anticipated. I think it's a question ar around the efficacy of vaccine in the first place. Do you want to respond, uh, Netsanet? Hashtag SFM Talking Point. Welcome back. Uh, we are in uh, East London at uh, the ICC and uh, we've been in conversation with Research and Advocacy Director at Amnesty International following, of course, uh, their uh, report, uh, their annual Global State of Human Rights report uh, that says that uh, global vaccine inequality created by pharmaceutical companies and wealthy nations undercut Africa's ability to fight COVID-19. We had a caller uh, before uh, we uh, got uh, cut off. I think uh, Netsanet also got cut off. But at the heart of Ronnie, uh, the caller's uh, question uh, was around issues of uh, the efficacy of um, uh, vaccines, I think, uh, because he says uh, eight, only 8% of the population of Africa is currently uh, vaccinated, as your report rightfully puts it. And yet, uh, according to Ronnie, uh, the levels of uh, deaths are not uh, to the degree that uh, is previ was previously expected, especially Especially considering, uh, you know, how overly, how populated uh, African countries are, and uh, he goes on to say uh, most people in Africa, according to Ronnie, uh, didn't even uh, see to uh, the basic COVID protocols uh, because of uh, space issues. I don't know if you want to respond to that, Netsanet. Yeah, very briefly. I mean, first, uh, let's remember that over 220,000 people were officially recorded to have died of COVID-19 in Africa. Mm -hmm. So let's remember mm -hmm. that in Africa, you know, our, you know the, 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 our recordings and detection of the, 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 the disease and days of the result of COVID is limited, right? Um, we mm -hmm. must also remember that there are, uh, you know, public health experts have given us uh, various facts and scientific proof why the impact was perhaps different in Africa than elsewhere. These are the facts that were hidden uh, as a result of misinformation, disinformation that has led to, to such debates and questions. Um, and so I guess my, the response to the caller is that um, the, the state where we are in today, uh, in our view, could have been adverted. You know, once the days is regrettable, and, and we could have adverted that when we have a scientific silver plate that could have saved, uh, you know, hundreds and thousands of lives in Africa, um, mm. we were denied that. Uh, when we could have benefited from facts and, 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 and proof of the vaccine efficacy to be accessible to our, uh, to our Facebook, Twitter, and et cetera, we were fed lies mm -hmm. and, and thanks to the yeah. big uh, social media companies.
Yeah. Uh, to, to what extent, though, uh, did African companies, um, I mean, African governments uh, not invest properly in marketing uh, vaccine efficacy uh, to uh, its population? For example, South Africa, uh, which faces uh, almost 100,000 deaths up to now, it's definitely almost at 100,000 uh, deaths, uh, had to discard and let go of, uh, you know, a, a, a big uh, portion of uh, Pfizer vaccines because the uptake uh, was uh, pretty low. And uh, some believe that, uh, to some extent, uh, government did not properly educate uh, its citizens around issues of the efficacy of the vaccine. So my question is around, to what extent, uh, you know, should African governments themselves take the responsibility of not educa educating its uh, population around issues of efficacy? And absolutely. I mean, this speaks to the larger point you made uh, in African government's investment in public health, including in public health education, and particularly on, on, on vaccine, COVID-19 vaccines, and etc., was limited. There was hardly sufficient investment in that area. And that's a legacy of Africa's neglect of its health sector that has contributed to this. There's no question there. Um, what has also contributed, which we must really own it, is that the unpredictable uh, supply, the delayed supply, sometimes even supply vaccines with such a limited time frame uh, for closer to their expiry in many countries across Africa has led to eroding public trust in the vaccine efficacy itself. Right? And, and these are hard proofs out there where you know, many, 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 many populations across Africa were seeing uh, in, in that way. And we also had leaders, including in Africa, who were feeding the population mixed views about vaccine efficacy, the existence of mm. COVID-19, and et cetera, right? So, indeed, there are definitely uh, instances and trends that suggest uh, failure on the part of our own government to ensure a proper public education, a proper dissemination of facts to, to ensure that uh, public trust in vaccine uh, could have been much higher than we are currently seeing now. Um, but that's not the whole story, is what you're saying. The, the story which we should also recognize uh, is that this, we, we are where we are today in large part because of the collusion between the wealthy state, mm. big pharma, social media companies, etc. Yeah. Uh, is your report available if uh, people want to go and read it online, Netsanet? Absolutely. It's the front page of our website, amnesty.org. Uh, you can answer the full report, our global analysis, including our entry on South Africa itself. Fantastic. We're going to leave it here. And thank you very much for your time. Uh, Netsanet Belay, Research and Advocacy Director at Amnesty International. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much.